Hello and welcome to another episode of Courtside Fracas. Today I'm joined by Nee. How are you, Nee? I'm not bad, man. I've been better than the last few weeks. It's good, man. It's an improvement. It's good. I'm joined by Sai. How are you, Sai? I'm good, brother. I'm good. It's been a while since I've been on with yourself and Nee, especially. So be good to catch up. And I'm here with Yas. How are you, Yas? Yeah, man. All good. Some good games to talk about over the last few days. Probably too many to actually talk about all of them. So this is uh, I'm excited to get straight into them. Okay, before we get into the games, uh, going to go around, talk about the recent news in the league. Um, firstly, uh, I want to talk about Draymond Green, who has become, mm, I would say, increasingly more known in the league for speaking his mind into to the media about maybe social injustice or injustice towards uh, NBA athletes and how they're treated and stuff like that. Um, on Monday, he after the Cavs Warriors game, he talked about basically the how he feels uh, NBA players are disrespected when it comes to trades, and how uh, basically they're vilified. A player is vilified if he asks for a trade, but then the organization can go and you know just make it open news that the player is being traded. And in Andre Drummond's case, who was the player in this in this uh, instance, he was told that he had to sit basically for. The rest of the till he gets traded, presumably to protect his uh, to protect his health, because obviously they want him as a trade piece. Um, so everyone here has listened to what Jermaine had to say. Uh, Neil, I'll start with you. How do you feel about how NBA players are treated in terms of trades? Do you agree with Draymond, uh, or do you disagree? Um, I definitely agree with Draymond. Um, if you look at Drummond in his case, I think it's a bit different to Blake's. So back, that's probably like more of like a mutual decision. Whereas like with Drummond. I've watched the Cavs this year and he's like played hard all games. Um, like they're not the best team. They were maybe like at best like, in, in like a playing like contention. But if you look at him, he's played hard all year. Um, he, he's like tried to do his best he can while he's been playing for the Cavs. So to be taken out of the lineup and like be told like a day before, like before the game, and he's still traveling to the team, sitting on the bench. I think it's kind of out of order because like obviously this guy works hard to be where he is. He's worked in the off season. Um, and like and players that work this hard and get to the NBA just want to play games. So to be told that you can't play because they're potentially trading you, I think it's a bit out of order, to be honest. Um, so I'll come to you with this question. Uh, to play devil's advocate, in a way, um, if you're the team with the asset, is it not smart to protect the asset rather than, you know, let him go out, you could go get injured and have a, I don't know, 12-month injury, you know? What, what would you yeah, say to him? So for me, for me, that that point is is quite potent. Um, the area where it becomes a bit murky is when the shoe is on the other foot. The perception is totally different. If the organisation can view a player as an asset and not want to risk their future asset for getting injured or decreasing in value, or even just future planning and putting plugging a guy in that role, shouldn't a player be able to do the same thing? Mm. In the case of say a James Harden, he knew he wanted to leave. He knew that the writing was on the wall and he wanted to force the move. If he had played hard, if he had played at full capacity for all of those games that he was there, what if he does get injured? That's his window to be traded, closed. And it also means that ultimately the suitors that are potentially in for him may not still be around. So as long as everything is equal and as long as there's not a double standard, I have no problem either way. But... Obviously, we are dealing with an organisation and its employees, so there's always going to be that power shift in the favour of the organisation, and I can't wait for that to totally shift. We are in the player power era, um, but there is still a discrepancy in where the power lies between organisation and player. Uh, I agree, to be fair. Um, Yes, I'll come to you lastly. What do you think about this whole situation, firstly? And secondly, do you think think that this shift in player power will turn to towards a shift in terms of this particular aspect in terms of trades in that maybe um, the media won't be notified before a player gets notified, you know, because I think even um, Shaq was talking about how he was getting an MRI scan and he heard he was getting traded or something like that. Like things, Do you think things like that will cease to exist or do you think that will still be the case in terms of like teams maybe leaking information to the media, that sort of I think it, I think it's tough because like you said, Draymond there, he's using really emotive language and he's saying players get castrated for wanting to leave and stuff like that. Draymond is a player so he and he has connections with all these people. So he has that real personal connection to it. Um, but like you've even said, 
on the other hand, this is a multi, multi, multi-million dollar industry. I don't mm. like the line that people throw and say, oh, they're getting paid this much, so they should put up with it. I don't like that line, but it is the reality on a wider scale that that this is multi, multi-million dollar industry. So the people who are making those decisions are going to see it like that. I, I, I feel sorry for the players in certain regards, and I feel like open lines of communication is obviously the ideal thing for everybody. The need compared... Uh, Blake Griffin to Andre Drummond just this week. Andre Drummond apparently, allegedly, reports, you know, caveat and everything, has been in a bit of a sulk since Allen came in um, and hasn't played as hard and apparently had a private conversation with the coach and everything like that. And apparently that's kind of had a, something to do with sitting him as well. Whereas Blake Griffin, he knows he ain't got a future in Detroit. I think Detroit know he ain't got a future there. And so they've got, a, it seems, a lot more amicable resolution to it. In saying that, you're, you don't have to go too far in the past where Blake Griffin felt absolutely backstabbed by Steve Ballmer and the LA Clippers when they wanted to go in another direction. It's a tough one because you're dealing with people and rich people aren't like unable to feel these things. But at the same time, I'm interested just where it goes because one of the things I really like about the NBA and sort of American sports system is the aim for parity and the aim for equality in the trade system, in the salary cap system, in the draft system, everything like that. And it is one of the things that does put me off football these days in the ugly art comes in, transfer fee wages, highest bidder, open market. That does wind me up a little bit. But I'm interested to see where it goes. I think something like this, I could see it going more to a, a point where there's more no trade clauses involved in contracts. I think I'd, I wouldn't want the NBA to lose it's sense of that market and it just become a pay to win thing um, mm. entirely. But I think, yeah, player protections, I think might get a bit more enhanced the more down this player power era we go. Something like no trade clauses, um, which you can currently only sort of negotiate if you've got eight years in the league, they might lower that to after your rookie deal or something uh, on the condition mm. you take a shorter contract. Just, I think, I think there's, there's a halfway point that they could reach whether the people in power and the owners and the people who have all this money on the line of it are willing to do that is another thing altogether. And you see this kind of, especially with the COVID stuff, the difference in players and ownership and sponsors and everything like that. And those, those interests do come to a head a lot. So I, I, I sympathise, um, to be honest. But yeah, I think I don't want them to lose the trade thing altogether. And that's where I do have a little concern it could go further down the line so I'd like to see some sort of preemptive stopping of that from the league in terms of just a bit more player protection on contracts or or players just being a bit more savvy about what type of contract they they get um mm. like Andre Drummond's never going to turn down 28 million but because he's on 28 million he's not been able to get moved yeah so I think that's the part that's the part that makes that his whole situation a lot more interesting is realistically his best case scenario is to just get a buyout anyway yeah, um, and, he, and I think he will, because who's trading for... Listen, Andre Drummond, the debate's out there on Twitter, so people can kind of get in with that. We don't need to have it now. But you know, Andre Drummond, people ask me about the Celtics or whatever. Buyout, yeah, cool. We'll come in, have a distinct role. No one is trading 28 million or close to that worth of assets for such a limited play. It's just not going to happen. So but then you don't turn that down as a man, as a guy. Mm. But then you're going to be stuck where you are because no one's trading that for you. So that is that's the other side of it, right? Yeah, yeah. While we're here, I feel like we, because obviously you asked the question on tw- on the Twitter at Courtside Fracas for anyone listening, um, is is Andre Drummond actually a good player? So like one of the one of the um, things that I've been once one person say, which made me laugh, is that he could put up thirty and twenty, and you feel like he's done nothing. So like that was an NBA executive allegedly <laughs> who said that, by the way, or an NBA scout or something like that. Which which is mad when you think about it. So like I don't know. In the modern NBA, is a player like Andre Drummond a valuable piece you'd have in the team and also pay 28 million a year. He's definitely not worth that money. But I mean, I think he can be a good player or like a role player on a contending team. So, I mean, like you see a lot of teams take a lot of fees nowadays. If he was there as a centre to go and clean up and get offensive rebounds, there's obviously a lot of value in that and getting second chance points. So I think he, there's definitely a role for him to play. He'd be like a good energy guy, but um, not at 28 million, no way. His skill set is too mm. limited to be, to, to, to sort of warrant that money, to be honest. Yeah, the, the 28 mil for airboard layups and shit like that. It's, it, that's, not, that's not a smart investment. I mean, my, my team 
we could do with uh, Andre Drummond. He's yeah, more energetic than DeAndre Jordan. He pulls down more rebounds. He's probably the best rebounder in the NBA, to be totally honest, mm. in terms of ability to just crash and consistently pull down offensive and de- defensive rebounds. Um, very much a case of him just learning to play his role um, and limiting limiting the sort of uh, scope of what he's being asked to do will be an immediate return on investment for, say, eight eight million per year contract or something of that nature. Uh, mm. I'd even give him DeAndre's uh, contract, to be perfectly honest, on 10. Um, outside of that, anything more than that is just a bit of a rip-off, to be perfectly honest. So moving on from that, uh, I want to get into some of the games from the week uh, that's just taken place. Um, firstly, I want to talk about Philly versus Jazz. So uh, Jazz beat Philly uh, 123 to 100. Uh, no, sorry, 134 to 123. Um, Nia, nee, I want to start with you. So Embiid didn't play. Um, ben Simmons had a 40-point game. Um, my question to you is, what are your, firstly, what are your thoughts on the game? And secondly, should we expect more from Ben Simmons than we get? So I think to begin with, it was actually a really good game. It was really entertaining to watch, especially in the first court for Philly. Um, they came out really hot. Um, and to expect more from Ben Simmons, no. And I kind of get into that. And it may seem kind of harsh. So like, if you break it down, in the first quarter, he got 19 points. Um, and he got 42 overall. So that means the next three quarters, he got 23 points. Um, and to be honest, like, the way they started playing the Sixers, it was, a, it was very like pick and roll heavy with him and Harris. And like, Utah weren't really covering that pick and roll really well and not giving too much space. And I think like, Gobert was coming up too high and they were just getting to the rim or getting shots off. Um, and then I think like, Zach Snyder pulled like, a timeout towards the end of the quarter um, and like, they made some adjustments. And since then, they kind of like, minimised um, their role in terms of Harris and Simmons. Um, and like, Gobert, I think he dropped back a bit more. And then like, under more the Utah players who came up um, to defend Simmons a bit more tightly. So there were a lot more situations where Simmons was driving to the rim and he was meeting Gobert there. And that's when we start to see the Simmons that we usually see, where he was indecisive, his finish in the rim wasn't great. Um, and then he was like, making passes to, towards the shooters, but then Utah sort of covered the passing lanes really well. Um, and then it was kind of the same situation in Paris again. Um, so it may seem kind of harsh because he did have a career high in 42 points but I think we saw the problems with Ben Simmons in like the next three quarters after the first um, it becomes difficult for him to get points or to get things really rolling when the defence is really set up against him and it was kind of just the same story with Philly and they've had a good season and they're first in the East but I don't really see them being too different from like, like the sort of years that are past, to be honest. So, yeah. So I'm keen to see if you agree with me about whether or not we should expect more from Simmons. Uh, you, uh, someone could correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm certain he was in the top 20 players for us, like, collectively, courtside top 20. Not my top 20. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> not my top 20. Yeah, yeah, Bam at a bio in yours, though. Man. No. <laughs> but yeah, I think I'm at 20 eventually. <laughs> oh, wait, who, who would you take? Who would you take tomorrow, Bam or Ben? Depends what I'm trying to build. I mean, so it's not I'm taking Ben Simmons, by the way. So, like, uh, my question—it's it's, it's a, it's a tough one with Ben. I think so much get gets made about his shooting that we forget what he's brilliant at. Mm. When he gets going downhill, when he comes off the screens, when he's isolated and has a route to the rim, he's getting there and is probably going in, and. He showed, he showed against the Jazz that he can go with both hands. He's got a variety of moves down low. It's just twos are worth less than threes. And the Utah Jazz, over the course of the season, have given up more two-pointers than and pretty much any other team in the league, and at least threes than anyone else in the league. So playing into their hands, to me, seems a bit ridiculous. Mm. Uh, obviously, Harris had a massive game as well, which will get swept under rug. When Jordan, Jordan Clarkson is scorching you for 40 points off the bench, it goes deeper than just Ben Simmons' offense. It goes to the yeah. defense of the team. Without Joel Embiid, they don't really have that anchor. And 
as, as great as Ben Timmons is on the defensive end. He's probably the best defender in the league, to be perfectly honest. Eh, he can only do so much, do you get what I mean? So for me, it was it was quite a weird game. Like towards the end in the fourth quarter, the Jazz started throwing a 2-3 zone at the 76ers and they just didn't know what to do. Um, and on the, on, on the flip side, the 2-3 zone for the Sixers just couldn't stop any open three-pointers. So there were just consecutive baskets where Joe, Joe Ingles or Bogdanovich or basically whoever was on the perimeter just had open shots and was just splashing them in, in their faces. So they could never really close the gap uh, after after they took the lead in the first first half. So, yeah, it was, it, was, it was an interesting game. It definitely highlighted the fact that maybe Philly aren't as complete as people may have thought they were. Ty, um, one of the big things on that side where, where I'm agreeing with you in terms of Philly, where I was, it, it really showed me and it, it showed me a little bit in the last few games. I don't, I've, I trust their perimeter players less and less in terms of creating anything. You looked at who they had last night out and that's their, that's their five apart from Embiid, right? They had Green out there. They had Harris out there. Um, and then, you kind of look at them when their ball is in their hands and you, you don't really, there's not really any, any ingenuity there. There's no real passing ability there. Harris has had an amazing season and he was great uh, the other night. Like you said, Danny Green pull up, Seth Curry pull up, Tobias mid-range pull up, but none of them are really passers. None, none of them really move the ball particularly. Joel is, I think, better at moving the ball now than he was. But again, he's post-play, post-play, might come out every now and again. Without Ben, the creation there just kind of falls on its ass. Mm-hmm. And you look at Ben, I'm, I'm kind of halfway between you and me. Um, he was incredible, especially that first quarter. But like you said, it was almost the perfect storm. There was no Embiid in the low block. And if you looked at his points, so many of them were either transition straight out, fast break or early offense. It was mainly early offense. They didn't give the Jazz time to get set. And they had uh, Mike Scott out one corner, Danny Green out another corner. Other two boys wide open, and they just created that lane for Simmons and Gobert. The, the, like people are going on, like, oh, it's just because Embiid aren't there. That's not entirely true, but without Embiid, they clearly had this plan to make things open up for Simmons. Well done, him. He he made the most of of the opportunities, and he's talked publicly about how he's trying to be more aggressive, which is great. Because last time I spoke about Simmons on this podcast, my thing was in well, I just the mentality of him. I just th- didn't think he's it flexing ever now and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, and you see him shouting after yeah. a few buckets. Yeah. Yeah. All right, mate, calm down. Um, but it is good to see because otherwise he's just going to be the most frustrating player to watch. But what I would say is, I I think they need to move and make a move on that perimeter. I don't really um, trust that creation, especially when in the playoffs Ben can get cut out of it so much. And that is where, when you ask if we should expect more, not in this team, no. Um, I think you need a team to be built around him. And I think he suffers in this whole him and Obed thing much, much more than Embiid does on the court. Um, I think he has to sacrifice a lot more of his game when you are playing into the low post for Embiid and stuff. Um, so I just don't, I think these, these nights will be few and far between. It would be great if that's wrong for Philly fans. Um, but I just I just feel like Sad's right in that it was a perfect storm in terms of opposition, who was missing for Philly. But it did make me think, rah, the, the the perimeter talent is they can defend and they can shoot. But without without that creation, I don't know how far they really go. Milton's out, who's been okay. Tyrese Maxi, I like as a rookie, we'll speak more on him on Sunday. Mm. Yeah, man, they're missing a few too many pieces for me. I was going to say that as well, to be honest, because like I was noticed their playmaking, especially at like the second, the second unit. Like when they bring in Maxi, they've got Cork Mars, um, and they've got like Fireball. Like they haven't got any playmaking. Their three point shooting. Okay. Th- Fireball. I, I really like Fireball. Fireball. But so offensively, he's a great defender. Yeah, zero. Offensively, yeah, terrible. Zero. And then Maxi, Maxi rookie pull up, and then Cork Mars another shooter. So it's like if Ben ain't got the ball in his hands, me, who is who is making any reads, any plays? But that's what I'm saying, because like, um, there's a point where they forced the ball out of Simmons' hands after he got hot, and he had Danny Green making plays and Seth, and like, um, they lost the ball. I think it was two turnovers in a row where they had the ball. And I was looking at their shooting because they added Danny Green and Seth, and I thought, okay, maybe Philly are probably a decent three-point shooting team, but they're 28th in makes and they're 28th in attempts. So Jesus. their three-point <laughs> shooting is still is still crap. Mm. Um, they've got people like Cork Mars, he, he's shooting like 32% this year. And he's probably the third best three-point shooter 
um, and like Fireball and Maxi are like down in the low 20s. So, yeah, man, they got a lot of problems. Like, I'm the, like they work that pick and roll, but because they take the mid range or like they try to get to the rim, it, it's just not going to work too well in the playoffs, to be honest. It's just and I, 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 Nee, I'll tell you as a Celtics fan as well, I think Tobias Harris is their biggest X factor. If he can be a 35 and that guy in the playoffs, hands up, like, cool, they, they can go somewhere. But I'll tell you now, it is easier than you think in a playoff game to let Embiid get his buckets and then not win the game. It's easier than you think. Like, to let him go off, you just rotate some centres, fouling him every now and again. Okay, he's great at winning fouls or whatever, but he's not a 44-minute-a-night guy, especially in mm. a series of seven. Even, mm. even with, like, the improved care he's apparently taking of himself, um, being a centre wears you down. And I've seen two series over the last three years now where I've been worried about Embiid going in, seeing his numbers up, 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 and they're going home, bye, 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 bye. So, yeah, they need Harris to step up, but I think they're going to have to make a move on the perimeter. I don't exactly know yeah. what they'll do with that, but because the pieces are either young or on cheap contracts. But, but yeah, but credit to the Jazz, though. Like, the Jazz, I, I just wonder where it's going to stop, where we stop kind of treating them as a as a. This is what I want to ask. So one of my questions was going to be, when do we start taking the Jazz seriously? This is it. And oh, it's like, bro. serious now. Hold on, right? As, look, right now, you could you could say with a lot of confidence, and you probably win the argument, you could say they got six man of the year, coach of the year, and defensive player of the year. Yep. And they got the best record. So you have to take them seriously, but at the same time, I just... Don't. And I think watching last night or the other night, I just worry about who's picking who up when it matters. Love Mitchell. I love Conley. I love Ingles. Um, Bogdanovich has found his shooting form again. Love what Clarkson's become, even though I used to think he was pants. He's shut me right up. Um, but I look around and I'm just thinking, OK, apart from Gobert, who struggles in that pick and roll a little bit, you know, he's got his limitations. He's quite old school. I just think, all right, who's really locking a LeBron down? Who's really locking a Kawhi down? Um, who's really locking any net down, to be honest? And that is why I think people are still so hesitant because they just strike me a little bit, little bit Denverish. Yeah, they're bit. the most they're the most balanced team in the NBA at the minute. They're class, but I just I they think play, that's my one worry. Offense, they defend held to lever pretty much. They're the second best defensive team in terms of defensive rating. Uh, they play at a high tempo. Like, or, well, they can play at a high tempo if they need to. Do you uh, think, though, Sad, do you think we've seen, we've seen in playoffs before teams that live and die by three and it just not fall on a couple games and then you lose two games and then the whole series is put on its head? Do you think they have enough about them to get buckets in another way? They're so three-oriented this year, and that's what's led to their success. Gobert's not going to be it. Spider can get to the to the rim. But again, apart from that, it's, it's very, very, very shooter, shooter, shooter. That would be another concern I've got. The thing that the thing that's their saving grace is usually for teams that shoot a high percentage of threes, their pace is through the roof. If you look at a team like Atlanta, for example, when they were on their little hot run, or even, say, uh, the Rockets, when they had James Harden, they play at extremely high pace, but they would shoot a bunch of threes. So they're shooting a lot of transition threes, they're rushing in the shot clock, or they're just driving and kicking. The Jazz, because they move the ball around and they look for the best shot, I don't think it's as much of a problem because when you find the best shot and you make the extra pass, there's opportunities that will open up to drive and get to the hoop, or just dump it into Gobert or whoever's making a backdoor cut. So I think I think over the course of a playoff series, they'll be able to vers- uh, diversify their offense a little bit, and maybe become a bit a bit more or a bit less one dimensional. Yeah, I agree. Cool. So moving on from there, uh, I want to talk about um, the Brooklyn Nets game against the Phoenix Suns. They won 128 to 124. Um, Sai, you are, have a really big smile on your face as I, as I mentioned that score. So I'll come to you first. Uh, what were your thoughts on, <laughs> just on the show? Before he starts, do you know why he's smiling? It's because he Go knows on. it was a fucking robbery. They got their <laughs> first lead of the night with 29 seconds left. That was a complete 
bottle job by Felix. Oh my oh, god. Stop it, stop it. <laughs> I won't like, narrative, man. narrative man will kill my vibe. Uh it was an outstanding, outstanding game to watch, to be perfectly honest. Uh, the Phoenix Suns are one of my favorite teams to watch in the NBA. They're absolutely superb this season. Um obviously Devin Booker came off a big game against Philly. Uh, so I was expecting him to go off and he he started like a house on fire. Uh, he had like 21 points in the first quarter. Just pretty much destroyed us. Um, and then he got put out. Yeah. And we, we just banned <laughs> the flames after that, to be perfectly honest. Um, going into the second half, we were down by about 24 at one point. Um, mm. and we managed to claw it back. Second half, the defensive effort without Kyrie, without KD. We basically had a bunch of role players just putting putting their stake down to actually be in that rotation come the latter half of the season. Mm. Um, and it paid off. I mean, James, James Harden went ballistic. Uh, that was Houston James Harden at its finest. Uh, we had a... No, but it was better because he didn't do the worst part of Houston James Harden. He only went to the line like four or five times. Like he didn't <laughs> just do this nonsense like I found him so refreshing to watch in Brooklyn and people might say oh that's narrative da, 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 da. you just didn't like the way the Rockets play yeah I hated it um, and I, I love him as a playmaker it's probably my favourite thing of his to watch if I'm honest I find his playmaking much more impressive than his um, his 35% shooting on 20 a game or whatever it is from, from behind the arc so yeah it was class like he, he's so much more enjoyable there um, but I don't know if that's just me looking for looking for things no, to be to be fair, I think I think the the fact of the matter is is obviously the conversation between Kyrie and the media where he said, "Oh, I told James Harden to play point guard and I'll play shooting guard." A lot got made about that, but at the end of the day, it suits everybody involved. James Look, Harden is the best ball handler on the team. But what I will say, I hope Kyrie didn't just realize that like last week because I think everyone kind of expected that. <laughs> how it was going to go. So if he just realised it, uh, he might not be the basketball genius that I, that I thought he was. But hopefully it was just a lot made of it. I think the, the, the biggest thing is, obviously, we're moving a lot more off the ball than maybe the Houston Rockets did. Um, and that goes for it pretty much across the board. Even James Harden can be seen at moments over the course of a game, diving to the basket, cutting out of, 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 of down screens and all sorts. So... There is a lot more emotion uh, than what I expected, um, and I'm happy to see that. And ultimately, he's just reading and reacting to the defense, and that's 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 the best part of his game. I mean, we finished the fourth quarter with 40 points, no turnovers, which is very much a departure from what we've seen out of this unit um, over the course of the James Harden period with the Nets. Uh, so yeah, everything came together, and a shout out to to Chris Paul for joining. 17 in the fourth quarter. He did have me tall. He was unreal, man. And ridiculous. It's, it's so I'm so happy that he hasn't just sort of dipped below the OKC season and have that look like an outlier where there wasn't pressure on whatever. Like there's expectations of this Phoenix team and they should make the playoffs. And if they don't, that's disappointing for them. And if anything, he's as good or better than he was last season in some games. I think he's I think that's a concern for Suns fans, for me. For If Booker is your future cornerstone and Chris Paul, as amazing as he is, has come in at 36 years old and he carries you through more games than Devin Booker does, I yeah. would... Uh, it's, a, it's not an alarm, but it's a, it's maybe a reminder on your phone. Um, you took the word down and off. That's what yeah. I was about to say. It's, 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 it's slightly concerning, but then it is Chris Paul and he, he was unreal last night. Not just the, the fourth quarter where everything was going in, but just... The Phoenix Suns, the way they move the ball is, is really impressive and it's really quick and they have they are very three-centric, but where they where they can find a way under the basket, it's usually Chris Paul zipping one in to, to soft boy Aiton, uh, who we might have to speak about in oh. a little bit. Um, Domination. But, you know, Domination. What, look, let's talk about this. <laughs> yeah. because where, where there are winners in James Harden and the Nets, there are losers and no one's stock has come out of last night with more of a battering than DeAndre Aiton. I just... I, I can't work him out. I really can't because he's he doesn't he doesn't have I've said this before, man. He doesn't have the guile to get away with the lack of intensity that he has, I think. He's he's good. No one can say he's not good. But in the modern NBA, if you're picking a, a big man with your the number one pick in the draft where Luka Doncic is, um, in the draft where Trey Young is, 
I get that they had Devin. I get that they had Booker. But you you go talent over fit, man. And he just... Maybe I'm being harsh. Maybe it's third year. But, yeah. And I think he was betrayed a little bit by Monty Williams, a little bit coaching-wise. They Nets were super, super small. You've got Jeff Green, their five, coming out, draining threes. What's Aiton even... There's no real benefit of him being there if he's not a mismatch in himself. He was the one mismatched. He was the one looking lost. He was even, the one getting blown by... When, not just by Harden. He was getting blown by, by Jeff Green, blood. He was getting blown <laughs> by, by Jeff Green. Like, what was happening? He's just there flailing from. Even even posting up smaller guys, DeAndre Ayton is just not that guy, man. He's He just... As, as you said, he lacks intensity. He looks lost on defense. He's a bit of a liability, to be perfectly honest. I was, I was hoping to see him elevate a little bit with Chris Paul running pick and rolls and all of that stuff. That hasn't happened. They bypass him on most possessions. Um, and if anything, he's just a bit of a decoy a lot of the time. So it's a bit unfortunate for him. I don't you know want what, to see. I, I do want. There are Phoenix Suns fans listening and who regularly listen. I would like to know what their thoughts are. Because obviously it's, it's one thing for me to come in and watch the Suns once a week, right? But when you've got a player who's third year, they might see the little things more than I do. Like I'll see little things on the Celtics more than somebody else will. And I hold my hands up. But I've been looking for them <laughs> with Aiden and I haven't seen them. So I, I would want to know if you're listening, holler us on the Twitter at Courtside Fracker because Frackers, I want to know what, what this what what the prognosis for Aiton is because I don't really what even what you think his ceiling might be at least yeah that as well because he's not okay he's shooting more threes every year but not at like a five or four a game thing he can drain some but he's not a real real shooter like that he doesn't dominate physically um, defensively he misses assignments um, okay third year player that happens but then to not match that. Like I look at someone like Rob Williams, right, who I could talk about in the next game, no problem. Rob Williams is a donut. Rob Williams at the Celtics misses assignments <laughs> like, like he doesn't want to defend, yeah? He's a clown. But he matches, he, he makes up for that with intensity and with dynamism going forward that, that no one else on the roster has. I love Rob Williams. Like, he, he is one of the things I think would define our ceiling as a, as a franchise. And I know it sounds hyperbolic, but it's the jump of the people you don't expect that really help you out, right? Whereas Aiton don't match that. Like, he is better, okay? Yeah, metrics, whatever. But uh, uh, soft, man. I just He frustrates me because I want so much more when I watch him. Me, um, what do you think about how the Suns are doing so far this season? What do you expect from them? And also, um, Yas mentioned the point about um, CP3 coming in, obviously. He handles the ball a lot. Uh, Devin Booker's numbers have come down this season. Do you think that's a worrying trend? Or is that not something they should be concerned about? Um, I don't think it's a worrying trend for the Suns because what it's been what like twenty two like twenty three games so they're still figuring things out and like mm. I think as you're figuring things out I think the best person to have that ball in their hands is Chris Paul obviously to lead a team and he's a veteran leader so I'm not too concerned about Booker right now um, he's had games in the last like five or so games where he's looked like Devin Booker like he's got like his 30, 35 points or whatnot and mm. he's looked good. Um, and like the Suns in general, they, they have a pretty decent record this year. I think they are about where I expected them to be, um, to be honest, like in that preseason. So I think they're I'm doing okay, to be honest. And I think they will make the playoffs and they'll be a decent team. But yeah, like, as the boys were saying earlier, I think it all kind of hinges on just like, how well or like, if Aiton can actually improve. Because I think he's like one of the key pieces to them being better. Um, and I don't mean to laugh at this too much mm-hmm. to what Utah are doing, but I can see the improvement in Gobert's offense this year and like the way that Utah's offense become more fluid because he can play out of the room until now and he's better at going to the room. If Ace can add that sort of thing to his game and just be a bit more efficient and like, vigilant of what's going on, um, then the Suns are a much better team straight away. Mm. And Sai, I just want to round this off for you because this is the first time I've had you on a midweek pod. So I just want to get this categorically. What do you think? So where do you see the Nets at the end of the season? Champions or winning what, the chip, dog. Give me the rings. <laughs> Give me the rings. Give me the loop, baby. Okay, tough. So for the timestamp, we've had it here. We've had it here first. <laughs> so if the first midweek pod after the NBA finals, I need you on this podcast. Win or <laughs> lose or win. <laughs> Rain or sun, I need you on this pod so we can talk about it. Right. I'll be there. I'll be there. 
Okay, moving on. Uh, yes, because I know you are dying, dying, dying to talk about your Celtics. They beat the Nuggets yesterday, 112 to 99. Um, what are your thoughts on the game, firstly? Um, and secondly, uh, we've seen Jason Tatum struggle a little bit in these few games coming back from COVID, obviously. Um, and he talked about how he struggled with his breathe, in terms of his breathing. Um, and this is a question to you and obviously to me and Sai as well. Are we kind of under underestimating a little bit how long it might take to recover from COVID as a professional athlete, let alone as like a regular person. Yeah, yeah, man. It affects everyone differently. Um, just like, I think people, it's hard to, I've seen COVID x-rays. So my missus is a doctor and she's had COVID. So I've, I know mum's had COVID. So I've seen COVID x-rays and it is essentially your lungs being clogged by a virus and you can see it on the x-ray. It's a fuckery. And then Jason Tatum missed like five games and it was right back in lad because our roster stinks so you have to go back to playing 40 minutes a night uh, he's come out and he said he, he he struggles to breathe going up and down the floor i mean one i felt like a bastard for shouting when he made misses <laughs> and two like that's that's a concerning thing man because covid has a lot of unknowns about it there's relations to the heart there's relations to um your 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 VO2 max in your capacity to to exercise for a long time afterwards. So yeah, people are playing through an unknown. And again, I think that's one thing that we do forget, not to be a Debbie Downer, but uh yeah, like San Antonio Spurs just had four positive tests the other day and they've had their whole week postponed. And it's kind of just like, all right, under the rug, all-star game, all-star game. <laughs> um so yeah, it is it is concerning and I think that's the that's the thing to, to keep in mind. I'll be honest, right? And this is as frustrated as I get with the Celtics. I, I, I said off-season autopsy, pre-season, my expectations coming into the season were not too high, especially missing Kemba for the start, missing what I thought Kemba was now, um, Tatum now being out for games, Smart being out for weeks. Well, I didn't know what Peyton Pritchard would be like at that time, so I didn't know he'd contribute. The free agent signings have been awful. Um, so I had us down as like a seventh seed that would round into a bit of form in the playoffs, but we don't have the quality to do anything right, right now. As long as Tatum Brown and Rob Williams and Marcus Smart come out of this season healthy and have developed as players, I'm, I'm all right. Like it's not obviously, it's not the dream. I don't go to bed in my Celtics bed sheets and Celtics pajamas, which I don't own. Don't worry. Thinking about it. But that's still a, it's a weird transitional season for us and it, and it hasn't been the easiest one. In saying that, <laughs> in saying that, my days we've been hard to follow over the last week or so. so. Quickly, quickly, before, quickly, as before you continue, before you um, entered the, the chat, <laughs> me and Sai were talking, they were talking about how bad the Celtics game was to watch. I think the words trash were mentioned several times. So yeah, continue. Well, we, uh, they could be talking about any in the last week because we were bad against Detroit, worse against the Wizards. That was yeah. the real. That one was it. Yeah. That one was, was embarrassing. Like that was just embarrassing. I have to affirm that. I have no caveat for that. I have no excuse for that. I have no asterisk. That was pathetic. That was pathetic. Um, we let Russell Westbrook look like it was 2017. It was awful. We were better against the Nuggets, but again. That was a decimated Nuggets team. There was no Gary Harris. There was no Monte Morris. There was no Will Barton. Um, who else were they missing? There was uh, the ghost of Jamal Murray for two quarters out of four, like you always get. No, I'm joking. But they, they were missing a lot of guys. Um, they were missing a lot of guys and, and a lot of their starting guys. So I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not drawing too much into the actual result against them last night. Um, we've got a game against Atlanta tonight, back-to-back. -back. Kemba doesn't play those. Someone else probably be out knowing us. We are the hospital Celtics after all. So I'm not getting too happy. But what I will say is there was there was promise yesterday because we've been so bad in that they just they did try to move the ball. Tristan Thompson gave a shit and and got more than six rebounds or whatever he can often get. Jeff Teague didn't play, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> that, that's the other thing. That's how you know Brad Stevens is mad. He doesn't shout. But he sometimes says we've got to work a heck of a lot harder and then only plays eight guys. So mm. that's that's passive aggressive Brad Stevens. So you know that all those guys who didn't play last night, which is what's eight of our roster didn't touch the court last night. Um, and five of them are fit. So you know he's not happy with it. In saying that, 
it's, it comes down to personnel, man. It comes down to personnel. We can do ball movement. We can do all this stuff. But at the end of the day, you're kicking it out to Shemi Ojale, Grant Williams, who have, they've shot okay this year, but they're easy to lock down because they don't have anything else in their arsenal at all. Um, Peyton Pritchard, we're lucky that the 26th pick of the draft... I like that kid. Yeah, like he's really good, man. Like he's, he's a bit of an older rookie, and but he makes his shots. He doesn't waste the ball. He works hard. Um, but we're lucky that... How often has a 26th pick of a draft become your second choice point guard in one week? Like we're very lucky mm. that that's worked. Um, the, our pick at 14, he, he works hard. Doesn't He looks very, very raw. Aaron Neesmith doesn't look quite ready. Um, so, yeah, per, it, it boils down to personnel. And this is something I was debating with someone on the Twitter today about all the mistakes sort of Ainge has made personnel-wise. Um, and it's just put us in a really, really bad spot because you look at how we have to work hard for our buckets, man. We have to work so hard for every bucket, bro. And it's because we've only got two guys you can score, bro. <laughs> It's, it's mad. It's well, mad. Anyone out there listening, I'm letting Yaz cook because the blood of my en- enemies is real, real. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's mad, bro. I've, yeah, I've fixed I've, them. All, all of I, these I, I did the caveat about, hey, I just want development. I'm pissed, bro. I'm pissed. <laughs> these were net sticks. I know you got Jalen Brown and Tatum. Well, this is what this is what makes me happy. Is that in two years, in two years, when you know when they've got their chip at the nets and they're and they're done and they will leave in two years, we'll still be here, which is, that's the one thing I'm clinging Doing what, though? We'll have some jewellery, though, I will be better than now. Fuck me. We're not going to be any worse, Obi. Like, Okay. If you say so. Um, so, <laughs> one question I wanted to... <laughs> one question I wanted to ask, uh, which I was going to ask before the pod, but um, was how bad of a decision is it turning out to be to give Kemba Walker all that money? Yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's bad, man. I think... I was never, and I've said this on the pod as well. I was never, I never really wanted to sign Kemba at all. I, I thought it was panic move. I wanted, I wanted a stopgap. So I wanted Brogdon at 10, 15 million less or whatever it was, or I wanted Rubio, which people laugh at. Oh, Rubio. But I really like Rubio as a veteran, like comes in, playmates, because as soon as we saw what, as soon as that 2018 playoffs kicked in, where we saw what Tatum and Brown can do when Kyrie was just chilling at home um, and Haywood was injured the timeline just shifted and especially once you realize that Kyrie was going to leave that year the timeline was just shifted all around Brown Tate and Brown Tate and Brown Tate they clearly didn't expect them to develop that quick because I guess their thinking with Kemba was well we'll get an all-star point guard in for two years on a max deal he'll still have value we'll be able to trade him when Tatum and Brown are ready to take the team on Tatum and Brown were ready to take the team on six months after Donny joined so that is a is a bit of a sunk course cost then he gets hurt and if you look if you get hurt we talk about the kind of um, the Blake Griffin thing or the Drummond thing. They just have, even though Blake Griffin's body is done, he has size, he has experience um, and, he, and he can play. If Kemba loses burst, I don't think Kemba looks physically bad. I think mentally he, he's a bit worried about the physical, but if he does lose burst, even a bit, that's a big mm-hmm. part of his game gone because he is all get to the rim with those crafty finishes. He's not actually an amazing shooter. Like he's good, but for for these days, he's not unreal. Um, and so I think it was just a miss. I think it was just a miscalculated decision. I think they wanted to save face with Kyrie going. Um, it, was, it was clearly an attempt, an attempt yeah. to match like for like, which is damn near impossible with the Kyrie. I think all all you manage to do is buffer that sort of fit. Yeah, and but this is the other thing with, and this is this is me going in on those young bucks. But this is the thing that confuses me as a, as a fan of a Brad Stevens team. Brad Stevens' big thing is defending and being switchable. So by that, he means I want five guys who I can realistically switch and put onto any guy that they come up against. So theoretically, you've got Marcus Smart as a point guard. Marcus Smart can, can defend one to four. Five is a bit beyond him, but he can defend the guards and a lot of the forwards. So you can switch him onto anyone. He doesn't have to just get mismatched and, and have a guy just shooting over his head all the time. He's, he's good for that. That's where people like Lonzo and Ben Simmons are so valuable because they're massive point guards and where Lamelo will become valuable probably, where they can be put onto people and, and match them side to side. Kemba and Isaiah Thomas, and to an extent Kyrie, seem to be these point guards that we go after. But the wings and the bigs we go after are like 6'8", switchable, multifaceted players. 
and it does I don't understand <laughs> like you have this whole philosophy of switchable defense do it all guys which is great and then you get six foot point guards who, who can go off and I get that they have qualities but they don't really seem qualities in sync with what he wants to do defensively um so it's just it's just a bit of a weird fit to be honest and I think Kemba has, has spent his whole career as a do what you want in Charlotte and now he's a third option on a team where he has to defend at 30 31 years old that's a massive adjustment for him and he's start, he's got better in the last couple of games he's found some shooting and everything like that but it's it's we're not going to win with him basically so that's why you just as a Celtics fan you have to treat these years as development because you're not winning with him as your starting point guard I want him to be an expensive sixth man put it that way um, so I want to come to you for a quick question. Um, how, would I, how do I put this? Um, so, as you said, Denver were decimated yesterday, but their record this season isn't amazing. It's pretty average, to be honest. Um, obviously, they got to the finals, uh, Western Conference finals last year, so I think everyone was pretty high on them in general. But do you think... So, this basically means reprojecting, because I think they are. Do you think that Denver are overrated? Yeah. And are they are where they are because that's where they should be. They're they're where they should be. Um, going into this season, they've obviously made a lot of moves that haven't really panned out. They doubled down on MPJ, uh, and that hasn't worked out mm. much to this much to the dismay of uh, my fantasy team. Um, <laughs> obviously, they lot they let Jeremy Grant go as well, which yep. again he's killing it. He's taking he's that lead, in, yeah. looking like the most improved player in the NBA. As, as predicted by myself. Um, clocks! Yeah. Clocks! <laughs> <laughs> so they've, they've basically taken a, a few steps back and that, that, that happens sometimes. I think uh, guys like Jamal Murray, you, you, get those, you, got, you get those lightning in, in a bottle moments in playoff yeah. series where a player elevates to what they could become in yeah. two or three years. And I think that may be the case with Jamal Murray. All the talk about him being amongst the best finishers at the rim in the NBA and all of that garbage. I think nah, he's just a guy. He, I think he lacks the pressure. He lacks playing under like, pressure. That's what I've heard anyway. And, and like and when you get to some, these, some players are like that. I think mm. uh, obviously Jokic is is playing at a very very high level. Uh, Forty three points in a loss. I mean, what more can you ask for? Really, like he mm. he really does put that team on his back. But if you can't get stops as a, as a team or as individuals, as the conversation has been spot on here quite a bit about uh, centres that can't defend, it does just make it very, very difficult to string uh, stops together over the course of a game. And obviously over, over stretches of games, it will lead to losses. So that's pretty much all we're seeing from them. Uh, they're going to need a few more pieces to be the real deal again. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it will happen eventually. I, I just don't know if they'll really be a team that can get past the first round in the playoffs this season. Mm. On that though, on the on the defending thing, I think you're right. Every move they made hasn't gone well. Don't know why they let Tory Craig go without even making an offer. Jeremy Grant wanted to leave for a bigger role. They couldn't do anything about it, but that is hurting them massively. Um, Jermichael Green was good size and he's, he's headed off to the Clippers where he's given them solid minutes. Sorry, Jermichael Green. I'm going to edit that out. Um, <laughs> they uh, lost Plumlee as well. Who, who You laugh at Plumlee, but he was a good centre of rotation to come in. Now they've got Kanchar and flipping Hartenstein. Like, Plumlee's better than those guys. So, But the other thing with them is you look at the players they've got. Take away Jokic, right? And look at their five or four. Who is a good defender out of those four? This is the thing with Denver, why they're so... Jamal Murray... Gary Harris is the only one. Gary Harris yeah. is a good defender, and that's it. And he's he's a guard defender. Like He's not stopping many people. I really like Gary Harris defensively. Jamal Murray can't stop a thing. Uh, MPJ couldn't even get on the floor for long durations in the playoffs because of how bad... He's taking the piss with his defense, yeah. yeah and he just doesn't seem to value it. He doesn't seem to value it. He's totally gone. His head is gone. He's like, got no focus, man. So then you look at that, right? And then look, this is their this is their team. You've got Harris, cool. They got a good sort of two guard there who can defend. Jamal Murray can't defend. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. can't defend. Will Barton can't defend. Monte Morris does a bit. 
Like their whole Facundo Campazzo, what a little player he is to watch. He's also <laughs> the size of a child. So he can't defend. <laughs> to be fair, do you know what? Pound for pound, he's probably one of their better defenders because he gets good yeah, steals he is and he sure. competes. Like he's actually one of their better defenders. That's mad. That is crazy. And that is their problem. Like they just have constructed this entire roster without seeming to think about the other way. It doesn't help mm. that they lost three defensive focused guys, but they got worse in the offseason straight up. So having an MP MVP level player is great, but you've lost three good rotation pieces that get you through the regular season. It's just, it's, it's not going to work, is it? And just to round off the conversation, Nee, um, I think I could be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like at the start of the season, you had Michael Porter Jr. down as uh, your pick for most improved player of the season. That doesn't sound yes, like you are wrong. I think that I might. Sounds, Obi, that sounds like you've saved that one, mate. <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just recollecting from my memory. Do you know what I mean? I remember certain <laughs> points, things, you know. And so he's not having a good season. Nee, so nope. like, I just wanted to ask what you think is going wrong with him. Is it the fact that Donald Trump lost the election? or you know, what's, what's, what's... It's probably a mix of that and the fact that um, he's just not in the game. Like, there's not much improvement in his actual game. So um, there's times where his offense just isn't dropping. And then he lets that affect he let he lets that affect his defense, and he just like, seems to go into like a stupor. Like he just like he starts to mop about the court. I mean, he gets back late in transition. Like I mean, yesterday, it was a pretty bad game, and Denver shouldn't have been in that game if it wasn't for Jokic. But then it, zero it points in twenty four minutes. Yeah, he was awful, and then <laughs> it totally swung in the third when there was a point where he took a fadeaway jump shot, he missed it, he got the rebound, he did the same thing again, missed it, and then like. I mean, he just like jogged back in transition and totally missed his man and then he got an open three-pointer. And I was looking at this guy thinking, what the fuck is he doing? Like, he was just taking the piss. Um, and like, I think that's like the main problem with him because I think Mike Malone didn't play him a lot last year and, and like, fans are always asking, um, why isn't MPJ getting more minutes, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we can kind of see that now. Um, his intensity is just, is just off. Um, and I think that's a problem for like most of the players within the Denver within the Denver team, to be honest. Like, the defence was terrible yesterday. Um, but a lot of it can be improved if you're just more active. And if you just, like, disperse and run to perimeter a lot quicker and you're more active with the way that you play. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's been terrible this year. And, like, I mean, his development has just, like, stalled, like, completely. Mm. Fair enough. OK. Um, so, quickly, just just to clarif- clarification, you know, same with Sai, are you sticking with him for most improved player of the year? Just... No, I'm definitely not. No. Okay, okay. Just wanted a clarification <laughs> on that one. Okay, so before we round up uh, the podcast, I wanted to talk about one more game, which is the Raptors beating the Bucks, 124 to 113. Um, the Bucks have lost four in a row now, and I think Yanis come out in the press and said, there's no need for anybody to go into panic mode, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I wanted to come to you first. Um, how, what do you think of the game? Um, should the Bucks be in panic mode? And also, how important is Drew Holiday to this team? I'm so glad you mentioned that man. Uh, just a, just as a as a, a disclaimer for the listeners out there, don't watch the Bucks if Drew Holiday doesn't suit up because it's not worth your time. They're basically a carbon copy of what they were before, uh, albeit worse defensively, and they rushed their offense and just forced the issue. Um, so by my calculation, they're just worse. Um, for me, should they panic? No, because we know they're going to walk through the regular season and pick up wins against lesser teams. We know Yanis is going to dominate. We know Middleton is going to be his Robin to his Batman. We know all these things are going to be true. Um, one area where I just feel they are going to end up petering out is they just haven't really figured out when Drew Holiday is out, who is going to be their third option. Over the course of this game in particular, Connelton was playing his ass off in the first half and he took five more shots over the course of the game in the second half. So a player who had built up the confidence over the first half, got them in a position to compete, wasn't getting the looks in the second half. And that has to be somewhat attributed to the fact that the Raptors aren't a bad defensive team. They're still Mm. active on D. They're not as good as they were before, but they can still cause problems. Um, but outside of that, it's just decision-making on the offensive end is just atrocious. In the fourth quarter, we saw a, a string of maybe three possessions where 
between Yanis and, and Middleton, they were just taking bad shots. We see uh, Ante Tacumpo taking turnaround jumpers in the post, which just aren't his game. Called by his last name. That's what he knows he's in trouble. Yeah, he's, he's, he's not that guy. He's not, he's not, a, he's not a skill-based player like that. So I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words, to be perfectly honest, in terms of why it is that Hopefully you don't hear screaming in the background. My my, my son is awake. No, you're good. <laughs> yeah, for for him to still be in a position where teams can scheme against him, force him into bad shots, and for there not to be a, a clear second approach for a team that has title asp- aspirations, for me is a big indictment on Budenhauser. And if he finishes out this season still as head coach uh, off, after the playoffs, I'll be, I'll be really, really surprised because they have made little to no progress over the last three years. And the one thing I did want to say was that, like, in terms of, like, Yanis and just, like, the box, not finding, like, a third option, second option, um, I think in the last six minutes, that Yanis got zero points. And he might have taken that three shots. He was pretty much, just wasn't effective in the game at all. Um, but, like, I'm two-day credit sort of, I think they're trying to let them figure some things out. I think they're trying to switch it up. Like, if you look at Yanis's usage rate has dropped almost like 5% this year. So, I think they're trying to entrust more Middleton and Drew to kind of run some offense and just find something different within the end of the game. Because you can see um, that the Raptors were like kind of a closed-up shot and Yanis wasn't getting anywhere to, like, he wasn't getting to the room at all. So, like, maybe... Am I getting the sort of caveat whereby like the Bucks don't really care about the regular season this year? They're not really interested in defense because they dropped off like massively. Um, and they're just trying to like work things out to see how they can be more effective in the postseason. So I guess we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, like to I basically agree with you. I don't think they're a better team this year. I think they're actually worse. And their defense, I think with Drew being out, they're 24th in the league in that like four-game stretch, the defensive rating, which is which is awful. And like teams are hitting them for like 40% from three how much the notorious for giving up. Um, and to be honest, on the Raptors should have blown them out much earlier if they hit the open shots. They had so many open shots, but yeah. Um, it's Loud not really... It's well. Not, yeah, well, yeah, exactly that, that as well. So I don't think it's really a concern for the Bucks, but I don't really see anything too new with them. And I think it's, gonna, it's kind of going to come to the same conclusion again, to be honest. Mm. Um, yeah, I'll go on, yes. That's yeah, no, I think, I, think uh, I agree with me in that they are clearly trying to work things out. I think they they are trying to share the ball a little bit more. Um, they're trying to see who has what. Connaughton got got some plays run for him. Um, a player that you know famously they didn't want to bring back. Then they did. Then they got the rule wrong. Then they had to pay him more than they wanted to in the first place. Hey, <laughs> Connaughton's okay. Look, I, this is the problem for me. Connaughton is cool. Connaughton's a good little NBA player. DJ Augustine's a good, literally little NBA player. Uh, can I touch on him quickly? Because <laughs> me, me and you were laughing about it. There were three possessions in the third quarter where he's went for passes behind the back, and they just had no purpose in the game. Yeah, it's it, it, flair for flair's sake. And they were the most ugly thing. And but, um, he, but this, this is it. And then they got Di Vincenzo. I like I like Di Vincenzo. Di, Di Vincenzo is a good uh, good little wing player. Um, he can. It's fine. He can have bad nights, but he's a good defender. He's a good player. Brook Lopez is not as effective as he's been for the last couple of years for them. Bobby Portis has been a nice pickup, by the way. He's 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 been very good. But again, like they've got all these good NBA players that are not who you want to. They got too many of them. You have one or yeah. two guys coming off the bench, and it's cool. This sort of caliber of player make up like nearly half their rotation, and they gave away all their future for Drew. Drew's Drew's very good. But Drew's not great. Like I, I, I don't really know if he pushes them over the line like the the trade needed. I hope I'm wrong because I, I want Yanis to do well. Um, Yanis is an issue in himself in that you, you kind of want a bit of variance in the game and a bit of a leap somewhere, and it's not really coming. Um, he's he's standing pat a little bit while other players are getting better around him. I feel like, and I feel like that's something that coaches in his young years and maybe now have a bit of bit of a bit to answer for but so I came across something for the Bucks which I think spells it out as well just of how average they look because I was watching them thinking they're not 
good. Like there's not enough good guys on the floor for me to really, really rate these lot. I looked at their wins, right? So they have 16 wins this year to 12 losses. Of their wins, they beat Golden State and they beat Miami in 2020, the uh, Christmassy games, like everyone was still rounding into form. So that's two of the wins that you can, you know, okay, Golden State and Miami were a mess then. If they played them now, they'd probably lose to both teams, in my opinion, in current form, because they've lost four in the belt. Then their wins for the remaining 14 are Chicago, which you expect to win, Detroit three times, Cleveland three times, Atlanta, who can have awful nights, Dallas by three points. Okay, cool. Good win. Toronto, a while back, good win, but Toronto made them look very average last night. Portland, pretty good win that one, to be fair. And Denver and Indiana. So of those wins, six of them are against Detroit and Cleveland and one's against Chicago and one of, and one's against Orlando. So of those wins, of the 14 that I'm really counting, eight of them are against bottom feeders. They have lost against nearly every big team they've come across. They've lost to Utah. They lost to Boston early. They've lost to OKC. They've lost to New Orleans. No one fucking loses to New Orleans. They've lost to the Lakers. Like They've lost to Brooklyn. And that is a big concern for me in that they haven't been able to close games well at all. And I think they, they remind me almost of, of us a little bit where I just don't think the quality is there for, for what they want to do. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure on them, man. I think I think... I don't really see what manoeuvrability they've got to change things either, unless they really are just playing half-assed to work out specific things. But, but uh, yeah, I've got concerns for them, to be honest. Um, but hopefully I'm wrong, because I, I do want Giannis to do well. You, you, touched, on, you touched on a couple of points uh, that need expansion. Uh, obviously, you, you mentioned about their ball movement, and, yeah, that is true. They do move the ball a lot more than they, they did in the past until the fourth quarter. Um, so basically, they just play themselves into the position of being beatable in the same form and fashion as they were before yeah. in the moments where it matters the most. And that, to me, is a, a, a basically an indication of where Yanis's IQ is at the moment. He needs to elevate that aspect of his game just a little bit more. He is a good decision-maker, but he's not elite on that decision-making uh, criteria. Um, and Just secondly, on that one for Giannis as well, one of the things he needs to get smarter with, I think people have worked out a little bit how to defend him now. Yeah. He, he, he goes straight into fucking offensive fouls like he like it's his first year in the league sometimes. Like, you should be smart enough to know how people want to defend you now. They want to wall you off. Kyle Lowry's going to drop down every time you go into him, bro. Like, like, he got away with a few last night, but that's, yeah, he's, he's just got a bit of naivety, man. I think people are clocking on to where his weaknesses are um, and, and really zoning in on him, again, which they're able to do because of that lack of quality elsewhere, maybe. So I, I think you're bang on with that, him needing to be a bit a bit cuter and a bit more savvy. And my, my last point is I do love Drew Holiday, but I bet they wish they had Malcolm Brogdon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely, 100%. My, my all-star Malcolm Brogdon. Before we round off the pod, shameless um, plug for Malcolm Brogdon. All star. <laughs> and for Julius Randall, while whilst you get votes in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, before we round finish off the pod, um, yes, I want to come to you with this really quickly. Um, I think you were the one of the people, along with myself, who said that uh, they think the Raptors should blow it up um, in general. Um, they are linked with a trade for Andre Drummond. Yeah, what the um, hell is that about? I was going to ask you, what's the point? Well, look, I think, I'll be honest, yeah, I don't know where those stories have come from. I do, and I want to be clear with the Raptors, I think they should blow it up, not because uh, they're awful. I think mm. they should blow it up just because with what they've got, I don't really see what they're doing. I think it it's needs a bit of a restart. I think Siakam's on big money. Um, Siakam's a second, third option. Like, we saw in the playoffs what happened when you over-relied on him. And I think he's, he's finding form now, though, which is nice. Like, he's, he's putting it together a little bit, but he's not that guy. Kyle Lowry is swan song of his career now. He, yeah. I reckon he could be on the move, and he's been linked to places like Miami um, and Philadelphia as a, as a Philly boy. So, so I, think, um, I think blow it up just for them, because they've got some nice, low-cost pieces, relatively, mm. in Oji Adenobi, Siakam as a, as a wing player, um, Chris Boucher, I really like. They've got they've got some nice pieces that you could really complement around. And there's a cool draft coming up. 
I just feel like it would be it'd be worth it. I, I I still think they should just because to be average in this league is just a bit dead, and especially in the East where you could you could make the finals more often than not if you're if you're really good, and they've shown what risk does for them in the Kawhi title winning year. So that's kind of uh, what I want them to do. Yes, yeah, still, although I have seen now that Masai Ujiri has not fully committed to being there next year, so he might be thinking on the flip side. Strengthen, strengthen as much as we physically can now, and I'll leave to another market. So I don't know about that. On the Drummond thing, the best I've seen them play was last night because they played Siakam as a center and they went yeah. and they've just been like, you know what? Aaron Baines is cooked, he's done. And so they, they played Siakam at the five last night. They had Norman Powell out there, Oji Alinobi out there. Yeah, uh, it was a yeah, it was nice. Did really nice stuff. They like to shoot the three anyway. Um, it opens it opens a lot of space out for Siakam. I think last night at 23, maybe 26 points or something like that, 13 rebounds and then six assists. And the assists were from drives, kick out. They like the three-point shot. They've got decent three-point shooters, even though they're not the best. Um, so, yeah, I do feel like they should just really reevaluate what they're doing. But um, for now, I at least like that lineup they went with last night, and I think they could be tricky in the playoffs. But I just don't see them doing a lot. But Drummond is the last thing they should do. I don't see how he fits there at all, especially after last night. <laughs> yeah, same. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, it doesn't even make any sense because we can see that that Boucher and Siakam were absolutely destroying, um, like Brook Lopez. Sorry, um, what do you call it? Brook Lopez? He was basically just like obsolete in the game. They were playing the game around him, so I don't see how Drummond comes in. And makes them better in that situation, and they've just got more modern forwards or centers that can play forwards, um, etc. Sort of thing. So, I don't see why they need Drummond. They don't have the contracts to match him, so you'd think it's a buyout. But if Drummond is actually on the buyout market, he's a, he might as well wear black and white now. He's a net bro. So, if, if, if people are coming looking for a center on the buyout, cheap deal, and he sees the chance to get a ring with Harden, Durant, and Kyrie in them, he's a net. So, unless it's a trade, he ain't going there, although allegedly he wants to. If it's not a trade, he ain't going there, and they don't got the paces to make that trade unless they proper got the roster, which would be maybe leading into that tank. I don't know. So, so yeah, it's an interesting one to keep an eye on Toronto. They're they're good when they're good, but they're just not really moving anywhere for me. Cool. And with that, I'll bring this episode to a close. So, me, Sai, yes, thank you for coming on. No worries, mate. Thank you for hosting, bro. No worries. Take, I've taken the duty off you for once, you know? Well, I, I ain't you. done a midweek. I feel like I'm put, finally... You put in the hard work on the Sunday. I'm buzzing. I've got a European night. This is great. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, anyone listening, uh, thank you for listening, firstly. And follow us on Twitter at Courtside Fracas and follow us on Instagram at Courtside Fracas. Um, it, at us, you know, engage with us. We'll always engage back. We always love a debate about any random NBA topic, anything you want to talk about. We'll There'll be somebody who on the account who wants to reply and have a little chat with you. So yeah, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Peace. Obi, if you just we transfer me that bro, I'll clip it up and get it out in the next hour.